and welcome to season two of the Higher Ed Shift. We are going to kick off our new season with Mike Miller, the Assistant Vice Chancellor for Enrollment Services at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Mike offers a unique perspective as one who joined the university in the aid office and has advanced into enrollment services. Ever focused on improving the student experience, Mike shares a unique observation he has made about today's students and a challenge they are facing that he has dubbed time poverty. Join us as we dive into the discussion about what time poverty is, who it impacts the most, and maybe most importantly, how colleges and universities can simplify and personalize the student experience to help catapult students through the challenges time poverty poses. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Higher Ed Shift. I'm your host, Amy Glenn, VP of Student Financial Success at Campus Logic. And today I'm joined by Mike Miller, Assistant Vice Chancellor of Enrollment Services at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Nice to have you, Mike. Thanks, Amy. It's always good to see you, and I appreciate you uh, inviting me to, to come talk. Oh, super excited to have you. I love having guests that have more longer and more complex titles than myself because I've had some really lengthy ones and I felt like yours was a bit of a tongue twister today. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, I've, my, my career has taken uh, some in, interesting turns over the, over the years and, uh, you know, it's definitely been a, uh, it's been a wild ride, but it's also been very rewarding and, uh, and a lot of fun. So, um, but yeah, my my title is uh, is awfully long. It's the Assistant Vice Chancellor for Enrollment Services, and most recently, I've also taken on the role of uh, Repatriation Coordinator for, um, which is uh, you know an, an initiative at the University of California to um, return Native American um, remains and, and artifacts. So that's really been something that falls outside of uh, the traditional, um, you, know, you know, kind of your traditional enrollment management. Uh, professional, but um, it's been, it's been really interesting. And um, like I said, very rewarding. So. Wow. I had no idea. I feel like every time we talk, you're always surprising me with something. And I feel like that's a whole other conversation that I want to dig into and understand better, but absolutely not the reason we're here today. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's amazing. So tell Tell can you can you tell listeners like I know you really well, um, but tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, your background, and the current role that you're in. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. So I you know I started um, yeah well first of all I I did grow up on a on a Native American um, Indian reservation in Washington State. And um, so I am a first generation college student. Um, you know, I, I grew up, you know, in, in a low income household. And so, you know, when I was uh, when I was navigating the, you know, the enrollment process and getting ready to go to college, I really had nobody to, to lean on for for advice and guidance. And so that really kind of, I think, 
is the the main motivation and what really has shaped my my um, my career. Um, when I was uh, when I was a freshman, I'd just gotten to um, gotten to college, and I was looking for a um, I was looking for a work study job, and I ended up getting hired in uh, in the in the financial aid office where I where I was going to school. Um, and it's you know you, you hear the story over and over again. I'm sure as you've talked to to financial aid professionals, but you know, you just kind of stumble on to ah. you stumble on you stumble on to financial aid, and that was really the the case with me. I got um, you know I I was exposed to to financial aid. Um, fortunately, the director that I worked for at the time was. Um, really supportive and she was a, she was a great mentor and um you know, really you know taught me the value and and the importance of the work in in financial aid and there are a couple of times i remember one time i showed up to i showed up to work in a pair of shorts and you know she quickly snapped you know snapped me back to um you know <laughs> to, to reality and was just like hey this is a professional office you know you, you're you're to conduct yourself in a in a certain way and that really you know that was really important for me it laid the foundation um, for for me and um, you know was was just you know she was she was absolutely fantastic and so I really I fell in love with the work like almost you know, right away um, you know I took a lot of, of pride as a as a work study student really helping um, my fellow students navigate the the financial aid process and and so I kind of I jumped in with both feet did it for all four years when I when I was in school and then um, ultimately when I graduated I got a uh, Got a job working for a construction supply company um, in in Oregon, and um, you know, fortunately for me, my my college girlfriend at the time got into graduate school at, at uh, UC Santa Barbara, and uh, she needed help moving, and so I was like, hey, you know, I'm 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 all in. So you know, we drove her, we drove her stuff down to down to Santa Barbara. And at the time, it had literally rained for like ninety straight days in Oregon. It seemed like, and you know, we got this Santa Barbara, and it was seventy degrees. And and um, so, you know, she said, "Well, why don't you why don't you move to move to Santa Barbara?" So I went home. I I quit my quit my job and um, came. I came to Santa Barbara with literally nothing. And, um, yeah, I, I wrote uh, well, as soon as I got here and I got settled for about a week or two, I wrote the uh, the then director of financial aid, just a handwritten note that said, hey, I'm, I'm new to town. I've got some financial aid experience and uh, would, would love to come come work at UCSB. And uh, fortunately for me, a couple of a uh, couple of weeks later, I got a phone call and they they had an entry level job available in, in the financial aid office. I applied. I got it. And uh, and really, the rest is the rest is history. I you know I literally held every position in the financial aid office here on campus, um, from from entry level to a financial aid advisor, and then I got into um, management. So I was the assistant director, associate director, and then the and then the director. And uh, just absolutely loved every every minute. Um, financial aid and you know, access and affordability are still you know the it's my passion, and it it really leads um, the way that the the way that I approach um, my my current role. And um, you know, so after being the, the director of financial aid for about uh, five or six years, I had the opportunity to to move into the um, the assistant vice chancellor for enrollment um, uh, role, and um, and. And so I, I took it and um, and and the rest is, you know, the rest is history. I still get uh, 
still get to work very closely with with financial aid, obviously. And um, you know, I certainly wouldn't have taken this position if uh, if that if that wasn't going to be the the case. And I you know, I absolutely love love everything about uh, about financial aid, and and I continue to. You know, really, um, you know, I really value the conversations that I have with current and prospective students, and and uh, working to keep students in, enrolled. And Amy, as you know, I think that you know that financial aid, especially right now, is just it's so critical for for people, and, you know, for students and, and their success. So, um, kind of a long-winded uh, response or long-winded answer to to a pretty simple question, but it's it really has been a fantastic journey. Love it from work study student to vice chancellor. I mean, it's it's a California dream in the making. I know. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it really, it really, truly was, and 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 continues to be. And I just feel so fortunate to um, to to have the ability to to do the work that that I do on a on a daily basis. I have to tell you, I must like. I must have done something wrong as a director of financial aid because everybody always says they got into financial aid either by accident or through work study. And I can tell you none of my work study students ever found a career in financial aid. They were like, nope, I'm (laughs) out. So apparently they spent way too much time in the file room when they worked for me. (laughs) Um, So you talked about your passion for access and affordability and I've heard you talk about this really intriguing idea that there are two different forms of poverty that are impacting college enrollment completion, our students of today. Can you introduce the audience to what those two forms of poverty are? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, you know, the first is you know, is the the one that we talk about the most, which is um, you know economic or or financial. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, the you know that's you know serving low income students has been you know has been the the goal and the mission of of financial aid offices for for a really long time. Um, but the the second um, aspect of, of poverty is is in in my opinion it's it's equally as important and deserves the the same amount of of attention and, and resources. But that's time poverty, and um, you know time poverty is you know the if you think about the the journey of a of a low income student, um, you know we we put barrier after barrier in front of of low income students, and an example of that would be. You know, the, the finan- you know, financial aid students are, you know, there's additional steps. You have to apply for financial aid. You know, you may be selected for verification. If that verification process isn't complete and you miss the, the your fee payment or tuition payment deadline, yeah. and then there's appeals and there's, you know, there's there's deadlines. So it's just like, you know, barrier after barrier is placed in front of um, in front of what I would consider some of our most vulnerable students. And so, you know, I've really started to, you know, over the the last uh, probably five or six years here on campus, I've really started to look at what that uh, what that looks like and and the, the impact that it that it does have on on our students. And you know, again, I just think that as uh, as higher education professionals, we need to put ourselves in in the the shoes of our of our students and just see the the path that they have to, you know, the, that they have to endure to you know in order to to graduate and be successful. And so, 
Yeah, I've, uh, you know, we've uh, on our campus, we've really tried to focus on, on, uh, you know, on addressing the, the time poverty issue and making sure that that our students have a, you know, have a clear and uh, transparent and as easy of a, a path forward as, as possible. How has that, how has that idea of addressing time poverty, which really, I think, is tied to simplification. How has that been received by by different constituents or different areas within within the organization as you've talked about it? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, Amy. What I would say is um, extremely well. I think that um, you know, thinking back to you know, I I had just kind of I, I don't even I wouldn't call it an aha moment, but it was a, a it was a moment in time where I was you know I just. It was the breaking point for for me and for the the institution, and it was you know just before the the fall startup. Um, we had you know it was you know, maybe a week before school, um, or actually it was it was the week of the first week of school. Um, we had a line in our financial aid office that wrapped around the building that 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 we're housed in, um, literally for literally. Times. It was it was massive. The, the the wait time was was well over was a well over three hours, and as I was walking that line, you know, it just it, it was it, you know reality hit me, and you know I I came across a, a student that was, you know, she was crying because she was she had missed class. You know, she had a she had a dental appointment, but she didn't want to. She couldn't leave the line because she needed you know there are things that she needed to you know ultimately needed to to get done. And so that was a, that was a very sobering moment for for both me and for the the institution. And so, you know, I I asked for a meeting with with my boss and with the um, chief information officer at the time. And uh, you know, there's a little shout out to to Campus Logic. You know, the the student form I I had sat through a presentation on the student forms tool that that you all offer, and um, and I just said, you know, this is we need to do something, and I think that this is the best path. You know, the, the best path forward. And um, in that meeting, you know, I everything was approved. You know, the my my boss and and the um, you know the, the chief information officer both said, you know, do it. Um, that you know, do whatever you need to do to to fix the problem, and so that really started the that that started the conversation. That started the ball rolling, and since then, you know, I think that um, you know our institution has really been um, very open to the idea of reexamining the the way that we do business. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit we're not perfect. You know, we've got a we've got a lot of work to do. But you know, the the conversation is is happening, and it feels like every year, whether it's uh, Campus Logic student forms or you know things like the you know, CULA system, which you know which eliminates the need to stand in line, and students can um, you know they they sign up for appointments you know virtually, and then you know they can you know, there's different ways to meet with a financial aid professional and you know, we'll text them when their when their appointment is getting close and and then they can walk up. So we've really done a lot to to really try and and address the the situation. But you know it's a, a 
huge, I think, credit to um, not only my my campus colleagues, um, but also our our students. Our students demand demanded that you know they they want they wanted better, and they 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 I think that they they see that they truly deserve better. So um, it's great to be. I think you know we were being held accountable, and that's that's you know that's important in my opinion. What advice do you have? for an institution who looks at their student population and realizes, okay, I have a lot of students who are at risk because I think, I think probably in my perception, the students that are most at risk for facing time poverty are going to be those high risk populations, students who are working, students who are parents, um, you know, people who have other family obligations. So as, as a school looks at this and they want to start to address the issue, what advice do you have for a school to, to start the process of figuring out how to simplify, how to make the funding journey take less time and reduce some of that friction for, for their students? Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great question. I think first of all, you know, I would start by, you know, by talking to to your students and figure out, you know, what, you know, what is working. You know, students are great. They'll tell you exactly, you know, they'll tell you exactly what they what they think and oftentimes it's what you don't want to you know, you don't want to hear. It totally um, is. <laughs> but it's also, you know, it's it's a great, you know, it's a great barometer for, you know, how things are how things are going. And so you know, I would really say, you know, focus on, you know, focus like the, the students that you just, you know, that, that you just mentioned. I mean, low income students, non-traditional students, middle income students. I mean, that's a population that I don't think that we pay enough attention to because, you know, their their families maybe make a little bit too much money to qualify for for aid, um, but they don't make enough to really truly support their their students while they're in school. So they're oftentimes working a lot and and really trying to um, you know trying to juggle. Um, those are also the students that I think that you know, that are always looking to get out as quickly you know as quickly as possible. So um, first of all, that that would be my advice would really be to to talk to as many students as as possible. But then you also have to sit down and really look at you know, look at your business processes i mean one of the one of the things that was ba- you know what was it was a really painful exercise but it was fantastic for um for our financial aid office was when we were getting ready to um you know we were getting ready to implement a new financial aid delivery system so we had to go through and map out all of our business processes and boy i'll tell you when you do that and you start mapping mapping things out you know like on a, a flow chart um or you know what you know bizagi or whatever you know whatever tool you, you ultimately use you really find some some really kind of you know some some glaring at least we did we you know we found some some policies and processes that had been in place for you know 40 or 50 years and when you when you kind of start you know backtracking from there you, you're like okay you know this is a process that was put in place because it was you know, it was manual there's paper that had to be shuffled from one office to, to the next and so that really forced us to to examine you know where those you know where those um, pinch points were for us so I would say you know absolutely you know look at 
you do do that. And then, you know, you, you'll find, you know, you'll find those, those areas that, that, that can be improved. The other thing was really, um, collaborating with our with our you know other offices and with our colleagues on campus because oftentimes you don't even think about it but there's conflicting policies there's conflicting deadlines um and so it's just you know again it was you know uh, we would have a, a policy in the financial aid office the registrar uh, the registrar's office might have a, a a policy the billing office so we had like this you know, I used to call it the triangle of death where we would go from, you know, we, like we would bounce students from one office to the next. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, there was, it was painful and, and there was no need for it. So once we got, you know, we got everybody in the room and we started to really examine, you know, what, you know, the, the different, you know, the different business processes and, and why they're there. And it just, you know, really, um, it, it was enlightening. Um, it was a little bit frustrating, um, but ultimately, it, it was uh, it was the best path forward. So, I just, you know, my advice to to institutions and professionals that are looking at at how to eliminate time poverty is just you really dive into you know why 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 you do things the the way that that you do. And Amy, you and I have talked a bit about this um, previously, but the um, yeah, the you know the process of of verification and of collecting information for for appeals you know there's uh, you know i'm a stickler for for the rules i'm a you know i'm you know i was once told by um by a, a mentor that you know as a financial aid director you, your report card is you know the, the results of your audits and so i took that really you know i i took that to heart and yeah you know, every time i get audited um you you know, I, I want the I want the audit to be you know perfect. I want it to be you know I want it to be clean, but there is also you know there's you know overkill is is a thing, and you know there there you know there's you know there's a there's a thre- there's a threshold that you have to meet. But I also think that is uh, as professionals sometimes we you know, we we can go a little overboard and and make things more complicated than ultimately they need to be. Absolutely. We need to mitigate risk, but, you know, we also need to be reasonable about how we mitigate risk. And, and I'm, I'm a big believer that we need to look at the policies, the procedures in place and really ask ourselves is, is catching the one out of a thousand more important or is getting, you know, the other 999 through the process more important. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that's hard. I also, you know, I think about what you're, what you're talking about, about the collaboration. And I totally agree because I like to think, uh, I don't like to think, but I know in a lot of cases that that triangle between registrar, bursar, and financial aid is really the Bermuda Triangle of the campus, right? <laughs> it's like where, where students go to disappear. <laughs> and, and part of fixing that, even when you were talking about the student feedback, part of fixing that is, I think we need to do a better job, and I know you do this for your financial aid office, but we need to do a better job of supporting the financial aid offices and letting them know that 
it's okay to raise your hand and say that something is broken or not working as long as we have a plan to fix it, right? But just like saying, oh, well, you know, yeah, it takes students a lot of time, but that's because of the federal government, right? Well, no, what can you do? Identify that process and what can you do to make verification easier, simpler to your point? Like, what questions are you asking? Are you looking at your policies and procedures and being like, why do we do that? You know, and, and so that that idea of really digging in and giving our aid offices the ability to be vulnerable with their leaders and and say, yeah, we've got these broken processes, but this is the this is what we're doing to fix it. I think that's really hard right now in a in an enrollment crunch. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and, you know, to, to the, the credit of our, of our current financial aid staff and, and you know, the current leadership, I think that they've really done a, you know, they've, they've done a great job of, of looking for areas of, of efficiency. Um, and I think that they've been, you know, they've really, I think, outperformed, um, you know, what, what I was able to do as the, as the financial aid director. And, and so I think that that's a, that's a huge credit to them and, and, you know, their, their continued, um, you know, work to make sure that, that we do streamline our processes as much as possible. We're still meeting the spirit of of the policies and the laws that we're all required to, to follow. And we do want to be good stewards of, uh, you know, the federal, the state and the institutional funding that we oversee. Um, But at the same time, you know, there's you know, there's no need for us to to continue to you know ask for you know the documentation you know, year after year um, and so yeah it's it's a you know it, it's a delicate it's a delicate dance but you know I think that uh, I think that you know we're we're definitely um, you know headed in the right direction. So you had mentioned a little bit verification was one of those places that you guys dug in really quickly and were like, this just, this is sucking the life out of everybody, probably your students and your staff. What are other points in the enrollment journey that you think is, um, is adding to the problem of time poverty and we need to look at and it, this can be specific to you guys or across the industry, but like, what are other areas that you think people can can hone in really quickly to make a difference? Yeah, I think it's you know, I think it's not just in in enrollment. I think it's just the I think it's that the campus um, kind of the campus culture. I think that you know one of the things that it, I haven't been able to really um, you know make a whole lot of headway on here on on our campus, but it's it's the communication with with our students. Mm. Um, you know, you we. Yeah, we did an exercise a handful of years ago where we kind of we went through the back end of our of our system and and looked at how many different emails a, a 
you know, a, a prospective student was receiving. And then after the student decided, you know, after they committed and submitted their statement of intent to register, and that kind of officially kicks off the, the enrollment process, we went back to look at how many different emails we send to, to students. And it was, it was alarming, you know, and, and it wasn't just from the enrollment standpoint, it was, you know, the colleges, it was, you know, student, um, you know, students like social groups, it was student organizations, it was, you know, housing, you, I mean, you name it, we're all, we were all reaching out to, to students and there was no coordinated um, strategy for that. And it's still something that we really need to get a little bit, uh, you know, we need to get better at our admissions offices has a, has a, a process that's pretty, you know, is, is really dialed in. Um, but that's, you know, once the students are admitted and then the, the, you know, the enrollment process, you know, starts, you know, we, we've got some, we've got some work to do. And I, I just think that making, you know, making your communication as simple and as straightforward um, and outlining what, what next steps need to, you know, need to take place is just, it's so vital because every, every year, every enrollment cycle we have, maybe a, a, a thousand, you know, it's usually like right around a thousand students that come, you know, they haven't done, you know, what they, what they need to do in order to, to get into, you know, paid status and start classes and, and just, you know, have that kind of that seamless transition in, into the university. And, um, you know, it's every year it's, it's the same, it's the same thing. Well, I, I was confused. I didn't understand. And that's not the student's fault. I think that that's, that falls on, on me and it falls on, on the institution. And it's something that I just think, you know, if I'm going to be blunt, that just, we, we've got to get better. And, um, and so, you know, I really, you know, I, I encourage, you know, UCSB, but all higher education institutions to really look at what, you know, look at the, you know, the transition from that, that students have to, have to, you know, have to, have to make and um, really look at everything, you know, from, from A to Z, because it's, it's a lot. And, you know, I mean, I've got a, I've got a high school senior right now. And, and so I'm kind of living, I'm kind of living that, that process. And, uh -huh. you know, it's, it is a, you know, it's, it's a real, it's a real challenge. And I understand um, higher education. It's the industry. I, I spend you know, every, you know, <laughs> every day of my life working, um, you know, in this field. And even, you know, I'm a little bit confused. And so if I'm confused, you know, I, I, I again, and it goes back to me putting myself in the shoes of of the students and the parents yeah. that, that were that were serving, and I feel blessed to work at the University of California, where we do serve so many first generation low income students, and um, you know, and I think that with that comes a, a great responsibility to make sure that that um, that those families understand the process. No, I I think that's that's a really great point that possibly one of the easiest ways for us to reduce this, this time suck, I'm going to call it, on our students is to provide really clear communications with a path and that says, okay, these are the next five steps that you need to take from right, financial aid, registration, housing, and to be able to say to them, focus on these things and you will have a path to a successful enrollment, right? At least you'll get on campus and you'll be 
registered. You'll be able to move into the dorms. Like everything's going to be taken care of. Um, but right now we are throwing a lot of information from a lot of different sources and students don't know how to wade through what's really important for me to pay attention to. If I've only got three hours each week or whatever the number is, right, that I can pay attention to this, what are the things I need to be doing this week? And I, I think that all the way around, it's a place where we we fall down a little bit. And I've been trying to, you know, there's there's a lot of debate and I'll throw this out there. Um, there's a lot of debate, debate on whether students are customers or not. And I think one place we fall down in higher education is not realizing that students are consumers and not truly mapping the customer journey. Like you were saying, like even this communication piece, right? Like mapping this full customer journey to understand how and when the student is engaging with the university and the information we're giving them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And I, you know, I think that students are, you know, I do view them as, as customers and, um, you know, they, and, and they deserve, you know, I mean, they're paying a lot of, you know, they're paying a lot of money for, um, for, for a, a degree. And, and I, I think that you, we owe them a, a process that is clear and transparent and simple to, to navigate. Um, you know, I, you know, my mom is is a, a remarkable um, lady, and my mom worked for Nordstrom's for for years, and so like that customer service, you know, the, like the customer always comes first. You know, sometimes over that during um, holiday breaks, I would come home, my mom would put me to work doing inventory at, at Nordstrom's, um, and so I, you know, I was exposed to that, you know, customer um, customer first mentality, and I, you know, I, I just think that. You know, there's there's so much um, to be said for for that, and I you know so you know I couldn't you know I really couldn't agree more. And goodness, Amy, I mean, think about what's happening in in the higher education landscape right now, where you know we're all adjusting. But for for years and years, students used to be able to come to you know prospective students and and you know students that were transitioning to the university used to be able to do in person orientation. Mm-hmm. The campus visits and things of that sort, but over the last you know, couple of years, because of the pandemic, that's gone away, and so we've had to adjust, and you know, we've had to try and and you know, welcome students and do orientations in different ways. And I don't know how, you know, I mean, it's been a monumental task. I'm really proud of of everything that that the university has done, but I don't know how effective it is, um, you know, because I mean, so much of that, you know, so much of the conversations and the, you know, our ability to sit down and solve the question, answer questions and solve problems, you really came from students that would just walk into the office. And now that's, that's not, that's not the case. And so, 
you know, as, as an enrollment management professional, I'm really kind of scratching my head at, you know, what is, what does this mean? What are the, the next steps? How do our service models need to, you know, need to, need to adjust and, yeah. and change. And, you know, and to me, it all goes, you know, it all comes back to, um, you know, to serving low income students and trying to address the, the, the time poverty issue and, and really making it as, as, um, as simple as, as possible possible. And one of the things that, and I, I know that you all are looking at this as, as well, but one of the, you know, one of the programs that we started a handful, you know, just a, you know, four or five years ago um, is our financial crisis response team. And that was a, a program that was safety net program that I would call, I would call it, which was really meant to, um, you know, to intercept students that were on the verge of dropping out or stopping out because of a financial emergency and when I developed that program, you know, we we laid out the kind of the, the fundamental strategy and philosophy that we would get back to students within 24 to 48 hours, because once they you know once students hit that you know, what they perceive as as crisis time, you don't you know we, as a as an institution and as leaders you know and and you know again kind of going back to the customer service part of this, we really don't have the luxury of waiting a week or two weeks to to connect get these students connected no. so even if it's um you know they a student in order to to access the financial crisis response team and a big shout out to those um you know those folks on our campus because they do you know they do remarkable work um but you know j- the, i mean just them being able to to you know get connected with students right away and and oftentimes i mean amy as you know this this stuff does take a little while to to get sorted out but if you just respond to a student and say we got your you know we got your email you know you're in the system we're working on it hang you know hang tight there you know that goes a long way versus just not responding and waiting for a couple of weeks and by that time in in a lot of cases you've you've already lost the the student and boy it's it's really difficult for a low-income student to navigate their their way back to the university after they leave well because there's a couple of things right when they're when i mean we're human beings so when we go into crisis we fight or we flight Right. Right. And so you've got some of those students that are going to fight to get the services and they're going to be the ones that keep calling and keep emailing. But you're going to have just as many, if not more, that that go away, that fly away because they're they're running to try and find a solution. I think the other thing is, you know, we have a student population now that have um, they have chronically been faced by financial crisis, right? When you think about the 08 recession, um, the unemployment that that happened there, housing losses that happened, a lot of our traditional age students were in pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, and then they've gone through, through COVID. And at the point that they're reaching out and saying, I need help, they're being very vulnerable in doing that. And if they don't feel like they're being listened to, if they if they don't feel like the interaction is happening in a respectful and an open way, it does damage and they're not ever going to come back to the university for help. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And we we do see that, you know, we do see that a lot. And, um, you know, the the one of the things that we've really tried to implement on our campus is more the the warm handoff versus, mm-hmm. you know, hey, you need to go, you know, you need to go see a, a college advisor about, you know, about your SAP appeal. Well, you know, is that really the the best way to, you know, the best way to to approach, you know, something like that? And I think that, you know, if you get the, you know, if you get that student connected with, uh, you know, in a, sometimes it can just be, you know, it can simply be an email introduction just to make sure that they're that they're connected. Yeah. I mean, that goes, that goes a long way. And, you know, we do that with our, with our billing office, our, you know, our billing manager, um, Susan is just a, you know, she's a remarkable lady. And, you know, whenever I have a student that's in crisis um, and and really struggling, you know, financially, it's one of the, she's one of the first people that, that we, that we reach out to. And when we do reach out to her, she's really receptive. She's welcoming. Um, you know, she does a great uh, a great budgeting strategy session. So she'll she'll sit down with students and say, you know, listen, you owe the university X amount. This is what your financial aid is, um, and let's talk about the balance and and how we can you know how we can work with you to make sure that that uh, that you're successful and that you meet the your you know those financial obligations. And that's not just you know the, the way that I view that is that's not just you know an enrollment strategy to keep the student enrolled those are life skills and you know she talks about that you know she talks about that a lot and it's like you know this is you know this is budgeting 101 and this is what you should be looking at as you you know as you exit the university and become a a young professional so it's learning outside the the classroom that uh that that is something that you know is, is in my opinion just you know as valuable as as what they're what they're learning um you know in their in their classes. Those life skills are are incredibly important. And when you think about the size of the purchase that an individual is, or Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say purchase, the size of the investment that an individual is making in, in their education, it's, we need to do more to educate on the front end, pre, pre pre-enrollment, pre-college student, um, as we do continue to educate during the process, because you're right, it, those budgeting skills are going to be equally as important once the student leaves the school as it is while they're in. You said yeah. something, you said something about like the tech and the shift during COVID. So I just want to ask you a really quick question. It's probably not going to be a really quick question. It's quick in my head. Um, but when you think about the changes that have happened over the last couple of years that kind of got forced on us through through remote and and all of these different delivery options do you think that we have reduced the amount of time it takes a student to get through the enrollment and the funding journey or have we um have we increased and and made it more complicated? Do you think we're in a better place or a worse place than we were two years ago from a time time like impact on students? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question, and it's one that you know, to be honest with you, we're still trying to figure it out. Um, you were in the we're kind of in the process of of reaching out to students to survey you know to survey them to to ask you know 
what how do you want your your services delivered now and you know one of the things i've been i've been working with our financial aid office on is looking at the customer service um statistics so we track you know those the amount of zoom um appointments email you know the, the email responses in person walk-ins and the thing that um that we're really trying to wrap our head around is where where students are so you know the just last i think a couple of weeks ago i when i saw the statistics we had you know we served about 400 students during the week um most of it was through zoom and, and email and we only had 40 in person um 40 in person appointments um or or walk ins and and the office is you know the office is open and so what I'm thinking is happening is we've got two cohorts of students that don't know any, you know, they don't know any different than, than hand, handling everything online and through Zoom. They don't really know that they can walk into the financial aid office. Um, so your question is a, is a really, it's an important one. It's an interesting, uh, you know, it's an interesting one. Um, and my gut tells me that you know, that this, that the pandemic is going to just give us another, another set of tools in, in, in terms of the ways that we serve, serve students. And um, I think if we're smart and, and we're innovative, then I do think some, some good will come out of it. And I do think that we'll be able to um, eliminate some of the, some of the barriers. I mean, again, you know, the, the queueless um, process where students don't have to stand in, you know, they don't have to stand in line, even if it is going to take us, you know, 45 minutes to, to get to them, they can go study somewhere. And then we can, you know, there's a, there's a coffee shop that's right around the corner from the financial aid office. They can go and they can sit down and they can study. And then when they get the, the 10 minute warning that, you know, their appointments coming, then they can, you know, they can come and, and, um, and be available for that, that particular session versus standing in line. And, you know, like the, the aha moment that, that we had as a, as a, as an institution, um, you know, I don't, I never, as long, as long as I'm working in, in higher ed, I never want to have to have that conversation with a student who's standing in line crying because, you know, she's got a toothache and needs to get to the dentist and she's missed work and she's missed class, but she's terrified to leave the financial aid office line because, you know, that's, that's her lifeline. And if she doesn't, if she doesn't finish that process, then she's not going to be enrolled. And so, you know, that, that's really what we're, what we're looking to eliminate. Yeah, I love that idea. I do hope that as you are doing, institutions continue to look at the data to know, though, because what worries me a little bit is when that massive line disappears, you lose you lose the visual cue. Mm-hmm. Get, not the not the cueless cue, but you lose the visual indicator that there's a problem. And so I think to continue to monitor that data and to continue to make sure that we're doing things to reduce wait times, um, to reduce the amount of time that we're spending with students. But I also think about the fact that we can now very clearly measure with, if you take the Zoom example or whatever video meeting technology that people are using, we can clearly measure how many meetings are happening, how long those meetings are taking, um, that's not anecdotal data any longer, right? And, it, and we can begin to understand and evaluate a level of a level of effort per meeting 
and we can scale it and we can staff appropriately for those for those situations as we as we go forward um because that that's one of the things right the, the one of the ways we make sure that aid offices can reduce friction is that we invest in them appropriately like you guys have done from a technology and and that's people processes and technology right we need to invest in all three um in order to to better meet students needs and to ensure that we're helping overcome the the risks that time poverty pose to to our students because i mean we're both in higher education for a reason right like we believe in the promise of higher education and its ability to lift students up so i hope that people have enjoyed this conversation as much as i have i my mind starts racing the first time you mentioned time poverty to me i was like oh my God, I've just never thought of it that way. And it was, it was like the light bulb went off for me. If our listeners want to connect with you, Mike, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to connect, um, email is is the, the best way. And it's my email address is, is pretty simple. It's just Mike Miller, um, no dots or anything, just uh, Mike Miller at UCSB.edu. And uh, as you know, Amy, I love talking about uh, about access and affordability and all aspects of it. And, uh, you know, the time poverty issue is uh, is something that obviously I'm, I'm thinking about all of the time. I'm very, very passionate about. And, um, you know, I, as, as, as the listeners can can certainly take away from this from this discussion, I don't have you know, we don't have a perfect solution, but we're but we're working, you know, we're working at it. And um, and I would love to hear other people's ideas as, as well. If you know, I know there's institutions that do um, do you know, have great processes and, and great service models. Um, and, and I'm always looking to, to connect with with those folks. So um, feel free to reach out. Mike Miller at, at uh, ucsb.edu. Perfect. We will make sure to include your contact information in the show notes. And I agree with you. The, the, the most important thing is for us to start having these conversations, identifying what other institutions are trying so that we can learn from them. We can grow. Um, and I got to tell you, we're going to come back to your efforts around repatriation because I really just personally want to learn more about that, even if it is is not another show. I would love to hear what, what you guys are, are doing at the university. If you've enjoyed today's show, the best way to show your support is to follow, like, or add a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Also consider sharing the show with your network to keep the conversation going. If you're looking for more ways to join the community, consider registering for the Shift Higher Education Conference, which is scheduled for March 28th to 30th in sunny Tempe, Arizona. I always look forward to questions and topic suggestions, so please reach out. My contact information is available in the show notes, and we will link mics as well. Look forward to seeing you again next time.